Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. So I'll encourage all of you to be in prayer for Sally and George and their family tomorrow as, uh, as that happens. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Joel. I'm one of the elders here at Refuge. And as you've probably noticed throughout this summer, what's been going on is a whole bunch of the elders that you don't normally see are up here preaching. And so you get to be blessed with all the people you don't normally hear from. Uh, so I'll try this morning to keep it short. I know it's going to get hot, so we'll only aim for like a couple hours sermon or something like that. So that's not I know, bad joke, I used it last time too, so. So I also want to take a moment and talk a little bit about Father's Day. First off, I'm so thankful for all the fathers, all the dads and granddads that we have here at Refuge. But I also want you to hear that if you're not a dad and you're a guy here at Refuge, I am so thankful for you. The church isn't just a place where we have these individual little family units to come together. Instead, when God calls us into his kingdom, he calls us into a new family. And it's a large family, but it is a family. And I am so thankful for the men that are here at Refuge, not just the dads, but all the men. Because every single week when I see my daughter playing at our gospel community group with various men like Tanner Writings, and she experiences love and joy and happiness because he cares about her. I'm so thankful for him. I'm thankful that he's there continuing to shepherd and steward my daughter. A couple weeks ago, we had an elders meeting, and Jeremy Jacobs was holding my newborn, Kenzie, and rocking her to sleep. And I was so thankful that he was there caring for her and loving her. And every single week when I see men serving in KR, raising up our children to love Jesus, I'm so thankful. And so I want you to know that Father's Day isn't just about dads. As a community of believers, as God's people, I'm thankful for all the men that are here that are continuing to shepherd our children, love our little people. And so because of that, the, the candy bars that we have this morning are not just for dads or granddads. It's for all the men. So please make sure you grab one you leave this morning because we are very thankful that you're here loving our children well. So this morning we're continuing on in Colossians and as you probably heard as we've been going through week after week, Paul and Timothy are writing this letter to the church in Colossae, a church that they've never met to encourage them in faith and love and practice. They wrote this letter to combat some sort of false teaching that was going on in the church, but they also wrote it to exhort God's people in Colossae, the church in Colossae, to live in light of who Jesus is and what he has done to be people living in God's kingdom. So this morning, we're going to open up our Bibles. We're going to open to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And my hope is that this morning, you see what it means to be a called and resurrected and raised people. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Father God, we thank you that you are good and gracious to us. We thank you that it's not 100 degrees out yet, and that we can sit here 
and enjoy a little bit of breeze, a little bit of shade before it gets hot and unbearable. We thank you that you brought us together this morning as your people. I thank you for all the fathers and all the dads and all the men who continue to pour into our children here at Refuge. And I pray that right now, that Spirit, you will work in our minds, illuminating your, your word, the scripture to us. And I pray that, Spirit, you also draw our affections to you so we see how good and how great and how holy Christ is and how much the love of God has rained down on our lives. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is our God, our King, and our Lord. Amen. So at this point in the letter, uh, Paul is about to do what he's doing in pretty much every single letter that he writes. So if, you, if you've read very many of the Pauline epistles, the letters in the New Testament, you know that the first half of his letter he spends talking about what is true. What are these theological truths that we hold on to? He keeps preaching and hammering the gospel over and over and over again, talking about generally how there's false teaching cropping up in the church and how that's not true. Really, this is what is true. And then the second half of his letters, he switches over and talks about what does kingdom living look like? What does it mean for Jesus to be king over us? And how do we practically live that out in our lives? And so in the four verses that we're going to read this morning, Paul is bridging those two halves of this letter. He speaks, he's been speaking about what God has done, how God has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. How we were once alienated and hostile mind, doing evil deeds, but he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh. He's gone over and over and over again, speaking about these great, grand truths of God. And now, this morning, he's bridging it so that when we jump in next week, we're going to start seeing lists. Where Paul, Paul says, if you want to live as part of this kingdom, put these things away. Take on these things. Live this way. Stop living this way. He's going to give us very clear instructions of what kingdom living looks like. So listen for that this morning as I read our passage this morning. Listen for it bridging these two halves. So this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul's entire point in this passage is to remind the Colossians, this is who you are, so this is how you should live. So Paul begins this passage by saying, if then you've been raised with Christ. Now, whenever you read anything like a therefore or an if then or something, something like that in Scripture, it's always a connecting phrase. And it's always important that you look back and understand what's gone before. What's Paul been talking about before this? Clearly, he's referring back to something he's already written. So uh, to understand our passage this morning, let's look back in the letter a little bit. We've seen the good news of Jesus' kingdom repeated over and over and over again in this letter. This is the good news that both we and the Colossians have received. That through Jesus' perfectly obedient life, through his brutal substitutionary death on the cross, and through his life-giving resurrection, he's delivered us from the domain of sin, darkness, and death, 
to his own kingdom of love, light, and life. And the mark of entrance into this kingdom is baptism. Through baptism, we identify with Jesus and are joined with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. Paul talked about this specifically in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. It says this, Remember you, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So by using this language of death and life, being buried with Christ, and then being raised with Christ, Paul is trying to remind us of our union with Jesus. This is the same thing he's talking about at the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, when he says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. We, his people, are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And he is now leading us as our king, as our head. He's pointing out that you and I are made right with God through what Jesus has done. And this benefit is solely due to God's forgiveness. What God has done in making us alive with Christ. We are raised to new life in Christ. And Paul is also reminding us that this is a gift. It's not something that you and I have earned. It's not something that we have taken for ourselves or somehow done something to earn God's favor. Instead, we are people who have been changed by what God has done for us. And this is really important for us to understand, especially as we approach the second half of this letter. If we approach Paul's description of the Christian life that's coming up as a list of do's and don'ts, and it, it's clearly a list of do's and don'ts that he gives us, if we approach it as a, as a calling of a certain way to live so that we might be made right with God, we're missing the point. When we approach the second half of the letter, we might be tempted to think that we're God's people because he chose us, or because we're good people, or because we've all come in us. And that's not true at all. Paul wrote in verses, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That doesn't sound to me like anyone who, who's earned anything. It seems like the exact opposite, to be honest. We were hostile to God. We were doing evil deeds. We were separated from him. And through what Christ has done, we are now holy and blameless and above reproach. We are brought into Jesus' kingdom by his work and not our own. And so here in this passage, Paul is telling us, if you have been raised with Christ, if God has done this for you, if you are now a resurrected person in Christ, then this is now how you are called to live. In seminary terms, I heard this phrase back in seminary. I thought it was, that's, I think it's helpful this morning. <laughs> it's weird. It, we use this phrase, the indicatives empower the imperatives. I know weird words. When I say indicatives, what I mean is what God has done for us, what we are, what God has indicated we are, who God has indicated we are in Christ. 
So these are statements of truth that we encounter in Scripture, the indicatives, and they empower the imperatives, the commands that God gives us of what we are to do, how we are to live, what we are supposed to seek after. And it's always in that order. We always follow God's commands because we are accepted in Christ. We don't follow God's commands to be accepted in Christ. Because it's Father's Day, of course, I want to use an illustration of kids, uh, my kids, because they're awesome and I love them. So my daughter, Lily, is two and a half years old, um, and she likes to come up to me with both hands raised and say, Daddy, hold you. We're working on pronouns. But in effect, what she's trying to say is, because you are my daddy, hold me. And lo and behold, she says that, my heart melts, and I'm like, of course I'm going to hold you. And so I pick her up. Now, if she walked up to another man and said, daddy, hold you, and he picked her up, does that make her, make him her daddy? No. The act doesn't cause something to change in what one is. It's the same way with us in our own lives. Our relational position with God is due to what Christ has done for us, not what we have done for God. To say it again, we obey God because we are accepted in Christ. We don't obey so that we are accepted by God. And we can't lose sight of this order. So when we read, if then you have been raised with Christ, if this is true, then seek the things that are above. So at this point in the passage, we've come to this general command that Paul gives to the church in Colossae. And really this command is going to inform all the other explanations of how we are to live in Christ's kingdom. Everything else that is about to flow in this letter actually follow from this command. So the second half of verse 1 into verse 2 says this, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. This is the command that Paul gives. In light of the Colossians and us being raised with Christ, we are to seek the things that are above. But what in the world does that mean? What are the things that are above that we should seek? What are the things that are above that we should be thinking about? Obviously, Paul thinks it's pretty important. He says it twice. But what are these things? I think it might be helpful to change the question a little bit to who is the object of these things? Who is above that we should seek? Who is above that we should be thinking about? If the light bulb just flipped on, it did for me too as I was reading it this week. It's one of those things where when you change words, you suddenly see a new meaning coming out in the text. And here, simply put, Christ is above. Christ is seated at the right hand of God, as our text says. Paul is commanding us, if you are a resurrected person, united with Jesus in his death and resurrection, be thinking about Jesus, seek after his kingdom, Pursue his lordship in your life. And this idea of lordship or seeking Jesus' kingdom makes sense in light of the imagery that Paul is using in this verse. In this verse, we see this image of power and rule and authority. 
God the Father is seated on his throne. He looks out and is surveying all of creation from on high. He is Lord and sovereign over all of it. And Jesus, who has completed his work of reconciliation, has sat down at the right hand of the Father, the hand of strength and power and authority and preeminence. And so if God is King and Lord over all, over us through Christ, we should be setting our minds on Him and what He desires. We should be seeking His kingdom first. And so, that's good from a very high level looking down. But what does that mean for us practically? Well, Paul's going to get into that. He's going to talk about it a lot in the next two chapters. But I think there's some very practical things that we can take away, especially what, it, what does it mean to set our minds on things above for right now. First, there's a few personal ways that we do this as individual believers. These are things that we talk about on a regular basis. They're, we call them our personal disciplines here at Refuge. But they're really just the practices of the Christian life. Prayer is one of those things. Prayer is integral to setting our minds on things above. Through prayer, we bring our concerns to God. And in doing so, we start to trust Him with our lives, the things that are going on. We start to trust in His work, His providence, His goodness, His plan, His kingship over us. And through prayer, we are seeking His kingdom here on earth. Another one of the ways that we do this practically, of setting our minds on things above, is by reading Scripture. We, when we read Scripture and we're opening up God's Word, we're beginning to understand what God has done. We start to see what He loves and what He hates. We start to see what it means to be part of His kingdom, how He is transforming all of the earth to be under His rule and reign and authority once again. And we're starting to see what is God calling us to? We also experience setting our minds on things above through fasting. It's one of the ways in which we deny ourselves the comforts of this life so that we kind of hone in on who God is, that Christ is the bread of life, that he is the one who sustains and fulfills us, and that the comforts, the fleeting comforts of this world will not. And through meditation, we also think and contemplate who is God, what has he done, it causes us to slow down and to say and to think and remember, this is our God, this is how he is at work. But setting our minds on things above isn't just a personal practice. It isn't just us praying, reading scripture, fasting, and meditating. It's also us finding this fuller expression within the church body. When we gather on Sunday mornings, we do so with the express intent to collectively set our minds on things that are above, to dwell on what Christ has done. Every single Sunday when we show up, we are worshiping our God collectively together, encouraging one another to seek after God. When we meet together on Sunday mornings, we're opening up the scriptures together to make sure that we're setting our minds on who God is and what he has done through Christ. When we gather together in our gospel communities, what we're doing is we're gathering together to eat meals together and encourage one another in the daily rhythms of life. 
where we open up God's word and we see who is God, what is he doing, where we pray for one another in the context of community. This is so crucial in the life of believers for you and me. When you are, when you or I don't show up, when we don't gather together for gospel communities or Sunday morning worship, when we don't participate in the full life of the church, then we're failing to seek the things that are above that Paul, through Christ, is calling us to. And when we don't do these things, we hurt the ability of our brothers and sisters to seek the things that are above as well because they need that mutual encouragement that we can give. And we, in turn, also need it from our brothers and sisters. So we, as God's people, are called to be seeking the things that are above, both personally and corporately as God's people. First and foremost, as raised people, we are to be contemplating and dwelling on Christ in all of our life. As we do this, we're focusing on his rule, his authority, his reign, his kingdom, his kingship, his lordship over us, individually and corporately. I feel like this is, this is tough because when I think about these type of things, I realize that I fail. I am definitely imperfect in following this command here. Every single part of my life is supposed to be surrendered to Christ's kingdom. And really, my old life should be dead. That's what Paul talks about in verse 3. He says, for you have died. We have died to our old selves. The ones more concerned with our own comfort than serving God. The ones more concerned with our own power than submitting to God's power. The ones more concerned with our own influence than God's influence over our lives. The ones more concerned with our own... You fill in the blank. These old selves have died to Christ. When he was buried, so too were our old, earthly, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds selves. We are now raised resurrection people, and our life is hidden with Christ from God. It isn't hidden so the world can't see it. It's hidden in a sense that it's secure. Can be, it can't be found. It can't be sold. We are Christ's. We are His. But like I said, this is hard. And I, when I reflect on my life, I know that I do this imperfectly. Yeah, I mean, it's really easy to be dwelling on God, dwelling on the things that are above when I'm praying, when I'm in the midst of reading Scripture, when I'm fasting or when I'm meditating. But that isn't all of life. And when I gather together with you all on Sunday mornings, I experience setting my mind on things above, or my gospel community, or when we meet together in Bible studies, but that's not all of life. If I'm honest, it seems like life is filled with a whole bunch of other things, cares of this world, <laughs> small stuff like putting kids to bed, or doing the laundry, or mowing the lawn, or grabbing groceries. It's also a whole bunch of big stuff as well. Maybe broken relationships with a close friend or working on a big project at work or school that everything's riding on. Or maybe it's trying to figure out how the bills, how you're gonna pay the bills this month when the money won't seem to stretch. Or maybe it's a bad report from the doctor that just came in. 
All of these things can crowd our minds. Keep us from fixing our minds on things that are above. But brother and sister, this is why we seek the things that are above. So that when you put your kids down for bed, you do it in service to them as ones that God has given you charge and care over to steward and love well. Or when the bad report comes in from the doctor, you trust and know that God is good and he's, he has control over your life. And that when it comes to your life, you know, your ultimate life is yet to come. When we explicitly fix our minds on things above, in these practices, in communal gatherings, so that it trickles through every part of our life, you know what? It means that all of our life is setting our minds on things above. This is why Paul and Timothy wrote this letter. Not because the Colossian church was perfect in keeping God's commands or meditating on Jesus, but they needed a reminder, just like us, to continue to seek these things above so that it flows into every aspect of our lives. That's why Paul, at the end of this passage, points to the ultimate reality. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In this life, we will not perfectly set our minds on things above. Yes, we try and make sure that it filters out into every part of our lives, but we're going to do that imperfectly. And so we gather together on Sunday mornings. We continue to practice the personal disciplines to continue to build up within us this life that God is calling us to. But we also need to remind ourselves that in the end, when Jesus returns, when all things are set right, that we who are united with Christ will be raised with him and share in his glory. We will be those who will be perfectly set on Christ and it will, everything will be as it should be. And so that is our hope. And Paul doesn't leave us in this passage without that hope of what will one day be. So as resurrection people, as those who have been raised with Christ, let us set our minds on things that are above. Let us pursue Him and His kingdom. And let us continue to gather as His people, spurring one another on to setting our minds on things above. And let us long for the day that Jesus returns and we appear with Him in glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You that You are good and gracious to us, that even in our sin and our rebellion, You have come in Jesus to save redeem, restore, and reconcile us. We pray that as we continue to worship this morning, that you will help us and encourage us in setting our minds on things above. We also pray that as we go from this place, as we contemplate these things this week, that you will help us set our minds on Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray that as we go through these motions, day in and day out, as regular life creeps in, that you will, through your word, and through prayer, and through the people in this church, continue to encourage us in Christian life. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.